to the Idiom Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a producer. As always, this episode is brought to you by EdmProd.com, an online resource dedicated to teaching electronic producers the tools and tactics needed to make better music. If you want to level up your production skills, whether it's learning the basics, writing better music, improving your mixes, or developing a more creative mindset, you've got you covered. Now, in this episode, I have a chat with Mickey Vallon. Mickey Vallon is a classically trained musician and producer who's released on labels like Cloud Kid and Lowy Palace, and his song Meet Me currently has nearly 60 million plays on Trap Nation's YouTube channel. In this episode, we start off with Mickey Vallon's background, looking at his late entry into the production world. He studied music in college, but he didn't start producing until after school while he was working a corporate nine to five. We look at how he grew his production skills on the side and how he eventually made the leap to working full time on music. He got to start producing for vocalists and he discusses how he built those connections early on without having an artist project. On the production side, we spend a while talking about his songwriting process. Even though Mickey Vallon is classically trained, he feels that this almost hurts him at times and he discusses how all producers, no matter their theory knowledge, should approach songwriting and arrangement. He also walks through his favorite distortion plugins, how he adds creative background textures to his tracks, and what his workflow looks like for actually working with vocalists. Later on, we also discuss how to embrace the difficult and annoying parts of being a producer, which is really an essential step if you want to make a career out of this, the pros and cons of moving to Los Angeles, which he did at some point, and some of the hidden streams of revenues that are available to producers. One last thing, Mickey just released a four-track remix EP to his latest single, You're Perfect, I Hate It, featuring remixes from Leno, Aramau, Icy Colors, and Jupe. The Leno remix already dropped, so I'll play that as we slide into the interview, and be sure to check out the full remix EP when it goes live tomorrow. With that, let's wrap things up and get to the interview. Here's the EDM Podcast with Mickey Vallon. to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Mickey Vallon. Mickey, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Not too bad. So to start, I'd like to learn a bit more about your background with music. You can go back as far as you'd like, but I'd like to learn what got you into music and later on music production. Yeah. So I started playing piano when I was around six or seven years old. Um, my mom, you know, had me and my sister go take piano lessons. Uh, of course, I didn't want to do it. Um, it was one of those things that I had to do every Monday night and it was kind of like schoolwork, but somewhere deep down, I obviously really enjoyed it. Yeah. I liked the fact, um, you know, learning a piece and getting better at it and, you know, eventually performing it for people and that progress that was always really fun for me. Um, and it wasn't until my sister quit that I actually took it more seriously because I naturally just wanted to be better than her. <laughs> so, so I stayed in it and I kept on, uh, you know, learning pieces that she wouldn't be able to play. And, and then from there, it really grew as like a love and a, a way for me to just kind of express myself and get out any emotions, not to be corny, but like, you know, when I was, a, when I was a kid, it was just like, I would just run to the other room and just play and, and no one else could bother me. You know, I would just go into my own world. So for the most part, I just played piano growing up. I did it through high school and then into college. Um, I went to uh, Hofstra University in Long Island and 
there was a music business uh, course there. So I took that and my main instrument throughout all of college was piano, but there wasn't really a good um, music production course at the time because this was, I'm 34 now. This was when I was, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't actually get into production till after college. My friend who goes by the producer named Lucian, uh, went to, he went to school with me uh, at Hofstra and we were close buddies and he was starting to get into producing music. At the time he was using Cubase and just recording, you know, a band and a singer and he was producing the whole thing and playing bass guitar, uh, recording all the, you know, the other, other parts and recording the vocals and seeing that process I, I was like, Oh, this is kind of fucking cool. You know? Yeah. Um, and from there, that was really the beginning of me getting into producing. Um, it started super simple. I bought an MS 2000 digital keyboard mm-hmm. and at that time there wasn't, it sounds like I'm talking about the sixties or like seventies, but, <laughs> but then uh, the MIDI, MIDI kind of sucked then, you know, it wasn't yeah. like really that good. And, uh, the computers weren't that fast, so you couldn't run virtual instruments and there really wasn't too many virtual instruments. So you had to kind of buy all the, the synths then. Um, so I started with the MS 2000 Korg, which is a digital synth. And the first thing I wanted to play was everything in its right place by Kid A. So I just kind of tried to emulate that sound on the synth. And from there, I just kind of fell in love with creating sounds on synths and recording stuff and hearing it back and having, you know, uh, Lucian as my friend to show me stuff that he already knew. It was easy for me to learn and kind of get into it. And we would go back and forth together, you know, just hanging out, writing music, recording it, listening back and progressing from there. So that's pretty much the story of how I got into producing, you know, leading up to me actually starting, you know, just getting into it and as like a hobby. So when you went to Hofstra and were studying music, was that, what was your mindset going into that? Was that you wanting to tour with piano? Did you want to teach? Like what were your aspirations to do with that degree? Well, when I first went into college, I was just doing it because I got a a scholarship for classical piano and I wasn't really thinking too much like down the line. And I had one of my dad's friends say, you should, you know, take some business classes because you can never go wrong there. So I, I took whatever they had, which was, it was kind of like a business minor and a a music major uh, degree. And as I was going through uh, college and getting closer to the, you know, being a senior and I realized, you know, I'm not going to be good enough to be a, a touring concert pianist. You know, I was thinking this, this, uh, this is not going to be good. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, how am I going to make a living? There was a lot of people who like to teach. I didn't really like teaching. I like just playing and being, you know, like doing it for myself, you know, not really yeah. doing it for others. And I didn't even like to perform. So it quickly became like apparent that this wasn't going to be a long-term career in terms of playing the piano. So I actually, um, end up getting a, you know, like a normal nine to five job, um, and working, in finance. Uh, hmm. so I wasn't really thinking too much about how am I going to make this a career? You know, I, I obviously always loved making music, but yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't like, Oh, I have to make this my career. So I went into just, you know, the, the finance world. Uh, I was like a consultant for Morgan Stanley and eventually I ended up working for Citigroup 
as mm. a, a business analyst. And, you know, I did that for my paycheck. And then at night, you know, I would work on music kind of as a hobby and grow my studio, but, you know, buying equipment, spending my paycheck on synths and stuff like that. And, yeah. you know, learning more about producing, but I wasn't really putting it to like, okay, I have to make this happen and I have to do X, Y, Z. Later on, I did want to like make it a career in some way. You know, I knew like, okay, it would be really cool if I could do music full time. How am I going to do that? You know, and I started releasing music, but I wasn't a singer. Uh, I didn't know many singers yeah, or anything. And I couldn't just put up like instrumentals, you know? So I put actually a Craigslist ad out for a singer <laughs> and I found one. Um, and we, we created like a band called Noosa. This was like okay. back in 2010. Um, and she, she was a singer and I was, you know, at the time a producer, but I didn't even call myself a producer at the time. It was more like we were in a band and we were going to write music and I was going to record it. I didn't realize that was even what producers did. I just figured, you know, let's, let's do this together. And mm -hmm. as I was doing that whole process, I realized that I was a producer and that uh, this could be something I can do with more than just one person. So she was the first project and that project actually did so well that, you know, we released a five track EP and one of the songs we got an email. I mean, this was probably a year and a half after we started putting out stuff. So it wasn't like it happened overnight, but at one point when we put out, you know, these, these five tracks, we got a email from a license, a licensing company that worked with uh, big brands for commercials and they wanted to use one of our songs in a, a Kellogg's special cake cereal commercial. It's awesome. <laughs> Which was crazy. Yeah. So that, that commercial, when we finally got paid for it, gave me enough money to set aside and actually quit my job to act, to pursue, um, you know, music and being a producer and look and start working like full time on that. So that's kind of, that's a long story short, but not short at all. <laughs> yeah. Was yeah. that, I'm trying to think about. Um, was like walk on by a big track from yeah. the Noosa project. Is it so? It's that Noosa. Yeah, that's that's it. That was my first ever project um, yeah. that I that I released. Yeah, and that was one of our first songs that we did, and it was on the first EP. Um, yeah, and that's how we started. I mean, that was my first. I kind of got lucky now looking back, you know, because mm. we just I found her. We did five tracks together, and it just took off a little bit in that in that sense. Especially from a Craigslist vocalist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was like, oh, this might be weird because we might know each other since, you know, she only lived 10 minutes away, but I hadn't, we'd never met. It was just such a random place to find singers, you know? Yeah. But at but the time I couldn't, it. yeah, I couldn't think of any, any other way at the time. This was bef like before, this was like Spotify just became a thing. SoundCloud was not really that big yet. It was all pretty new. So Craigslist was a good place for me to find singers at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so when you decided you got that Kellogg commercial placement and you decided that, okay, I've got some money saved up. I'm going to do this full time with music. Were you continuing with the Noosa project or did you have aspirations for more of a solo brand? Yeah. So at that time we still were doing the Noosa project. We actually then worked on a full length, uh, album together. And I don't know if there was like nine or 11 tracks. So, some of them rolled up from the previous EP, but we, we could finished a whole LP. And at that time, when I finished that, I started looking for other singers. Um, 
And through that, people were emailing me and it was a little easier to find other singers and collaborate with other people. Um, but I did, a, I did a number of projects for the next, I would say, let me think, two or three years, I would work with like indie pop singers and help them write and produce their album and help them yeah. re- and help them release it too. So I did um, an artist co- named Evie. I did an artist named Joji. I did an artist named Mickey Blue, uh, Lionheart, Air. I worked with a lot of different, you know, indie pop yeah. artists at the time. And just, we would put out maybe four or five tracks per EP and see how they went, you know? How did you find those artists to write for? Um, again, <laughs> the second person was from Craigslist, uh, <laughs> Ayer. We did, I think we did two tracks together. And then after that, there was someone, a friend of a friend, you know, introduced me to a singer uh, that we created the Evie Project. And then, you know, one person was on SoundCloud and another person was just through another manager and stuff like that. It just kind of, each one was a little bit different. Um, there's no, now I pretty much find everyone if I'm working with someone on uh, Instagram or, or SoundCloud, you know, um, or just through Spotify or my manager, but then it was just anything went, you know, anything goes. So when you were producing for all these other artists, was that your goal in music at the time? Like, I want to be a producer for these other artists or were you just kind of trying to get a paycheck with them? Uh, no, it was definitely, my goal was like, okay, I want to be a producer and, um, everything was split fairly. I didn't charge upfront fees. We just, you know, split percentages and figured all, all that out after. Um, at the time it was just like, Oh, I want to be a producer behind the scenes. Um, and I, I want to release music. That's all I really cared about. Uh, as time went on, I realized that it was easier for me to control my own project. If I was in control of it, if that makes sense, instead of, you know, it being a focus around the singer, it would be a focus around me. And that's how I, you know, that's when I created the Mickey Valen project. Um, but at this time it was pretty popular for producers to become the focus, you know, it was like chain smokers were now becoming a thing and, you know, producers were featuring singers on their tracks and that was new at the time. It, it wasn't like that before as much. Yeah. Uh, and then it became like everyone, every, every producer was now having, you know, featuring singer, you know, totally now the norm. Yeah. So this was around like 2015 or so where you were yeah. first establishing the Mickey Valen project. Yeah. And I would say like in 2014 and 15, I was more just doing remixes, things for free, just uploading SoundCloud and trying to, use SoundCloud to gain followers. I would yeah. do like, you know, follow for download and grow my SoundCloud that way with remixes. I wasn't really making money on any of those remixes, but yeah. I was I was gaining some buzz and I was gaining followers and building, you know, getting people to follow my Spotify or, or SoundCloud or whatever it was uh, at that time. So when do you feel like you really got things off the ground running with the Mickey Valen project? Um, so... In 2016, I decided I was just going to start releasing a track per month almost. That was like the goal because my friend Lucian, that was what he does. And that's what he did and still does. But he was just saying, you know, just keep releasing, releasing, releasing. Um, So I just started finding people, you know, doing a single, releasing it, seeing how it went. I just kept doing that until I got to um, my track Meet Me with Noemi. Um, Mm. 
And at this time I would, I used to just write a, you know, I would, I would have a single and then I would send it to YouTube channels like cloud kid or suicide cheap or trap nation or chill nation and be like, Hey, what do you think? Um, and then I would ask, Hey, would you be cool? Would you want to upload this? You know? And this was the, at the same time, they were all starting to kind of create record labels around their brand. So I sent this meet me to actually trap nation at the time. And the first version was a completely different drop and a completely different uh, production. And Andre was like, no, I don't like this. Um, (laughs) But maybe, you know, chill nation can upload it. And I was like, I don't, I was like, fuck that. I don't want (laughs) to, I want, like, I want, you know, I wanted the channel with the most followers. So I went back and like kept producing it for two weeks and just redid everything, you know, I thought might've been lacking. And when I re-delivered it, he was like, holy shit, this is incredible. Um, And then he was like, I want to sign it. And I said, you know, it it was his third, it would have been his third single to sign. And I was hesitant to do it just because it was so new for him as a label, but through like another colleague, uh, someone recommended, why don't you just do it? You know, you're not risking too much by signing it with them. Yeah. Uh, so, so I ended up doing it. And that's when I think that project took off because that, that song did so well and it created a, it created a lot of buzz and it helped, it gave me a lot of momentum uh, going forward. Uh, but that was like definitely a shift there. Um, I mean, it was a small shift, but it was a shift enough where I felt like, okay, I'm doing the right thing, doing this project at least. Yeah. Totally. I mean, the support from that track was phenomenal. Like I just checked the, um, trap nation upload. It's got 59 million plays. Like that's yeah. something Spotify is like nearly up there. So right. I'm sure it was like a very good feeling assurance. Yeah, it was a good <laughs> yeah. feeling, but also like a good assurance. Like you yeah. took a chance to do this solo driven project. It is at least at that time was a little bit newer to have mm-hmm. artists featuring producer versus the other way around. Like you had before with your newser project. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, even just given your background, one thing that I kind of wrote down when prepping for this interview was how vocal driven everything that you're doing is. And I, you know, just talking to you, it definitely seems like the pop driven aesthetic is really important to your sound. Would you say so? Yeah, that's that's funny because I went through things that you might be like coming up with, and one of the things I kept on coming up where it's like, what do you have? Um, you know, for new producers and this and that, uh, one, of, I think one of the things that defines my brand and I make it very clear when I'm working with people is that the vocals and the song itself and the message has to be super clear and it has to be very, I, for me, like more pop driven, like you said, and more struck a lot more structured than my, my production is. Do you know what I mean? So you get yeah. like this, you get this like super gritty production, but also this really structured pop vocal and that together creates kind of the sound that I have now, I feel like, you know, Um, and you'll always notice that pretty much before every drop, there's a very clear message being told or like a tagline, you know, and it's not something that's going to be super down the middle, like, you know, saying someone saying higher, lower, it's, you know, it's going to be like a mess. It's going to be something different, Um, but it's also going to be, easy to understand for anyone listening. Totally. So I kind of want to dive into what your songwriting process looks like. I'm sure, you know, you're working with different vocalists and the process is going to be different each time, but do you have a general workflow that you prefer when you're getting, let's just say vocals for one of your tracks? Yeah. Um, So it's weird when I, 
when I was doing my own project, I, I went about it in a way where it's like, I'm going to send out a bunch of messages to a lot of different singers that I really like, you know, I could just find, it, it doesn't matter if they have tons of followers or none. I'll yeah. go through, you know, people's sound clouds and just shoot out messages. Hey, you know, send me any songs you're working on or any top lines that are, um, you know, just piano vocal. I'd love to listen to them. And then, you know, after, after a while I start getting responses and people will send me ideas. This is, this is one way I go about it. This is when I'm yeah. not, in, this is like when I'm not in the room and I'm doing it online. Um, so I'll get a bunch of vocals back and really I'll just, you know, it took a long time to get used to knowing what to listen for, or at least for me, it's like, I'm really just listening to something like what, if in that first listen, I don't really feel connected. I just go on, you know, I think yeah. the more you listen to something, all of a sudden those vocals could start to make sense. But if it doesn't make sense in the first listen, that's what everyone's going to hear. They're going to hear that first listen and they're going to say yes or no. Um, so that first listen has to be like, boom, you know, yeah. it has to really blow me away. And then even if the melody is really good, the vocal has to be clear, at least with what they're saying, um, like in the chorus. I almost don't really care too much about the verse. Um, I didn't even know what Noemi was saying in Meet Me till yeah. I got the lyric sheet, you know. <laughs> but but the chorus, like I, you could hear, and, and it's you know everyone can repeat it. So that's kind of what I'm looking for: something memorable. Uh, and also, the first time you hear it, you don't have to think too hard about it. You're just like, okay, that makes sense. You know, it felt it felt yeah. natural. So are you involved at all in the vocal and kind of top line writing process or generally do you leave that for the vocalist and kind of just push them and nudge them in certain directions? Um, some songs I have more, well, like let's say I'm, some so songs, if I'm working with the, the singer and they're in the room, I'll have obviously more, um, more say, but I try to stay out of it and just guide them like, let's say, you know, let them come up with the lyrics and the melody. And then when we listen back, that's when we can all kind of listen back and agree. Is this the best? Or do we yeah. feel like it needs more? Do we feel like um, this is the best we can do? And then, you know, recut a different idea. But you have to, I mean, you'll know after when you, if you've done it long, like long enough, you'll know when it's right. You know, if it excites you, then chances are it's a, it's, it's great. But if it doesn't, you know, you can just sit there and be like, okay, which I've done a lot of times where I'm like, okay, this is good enough. You know, like it's not bad or I think it's good, you know, but yeah. then you listen later on or, you know, two days later and you're like, it wasn't that good. But I feel like the more you listen to your gut and you're just like, this isn't good. And you go back and rewrite, that's what is going to yeah. make that song that much better. You just have to really want to do that work. Cause sometimes you spend an hour on something and then you don't want to just be like, ah, it's nothing, you know, but sometimes you just got to throw it out and try a new idea. So I, I think that answers your question. I'm not yeah, sure. no, totally. Um, I think it just takes like a grit and resilience, especially with lyric writing. Um, like if I told the average person listening to this podcast to write a poem, most of them would probably really struggle with it just because they haven't done it enough. So it's mm -hmm. the idea of repetition, like getting through enough lyrics that you're writing and yeah. then also just being comfortable with the idea of having to refine it just like you do your productions. Like don't think yeah. about it as it all coming out in one spurt. Right. Yeah. And I generally leave like the lyrics up to people who are better at that. You know, my thing is the productions. So I can give them certain amount of input um, just like they can give me certain input, but it's usually pretty simple changes that I'm asking for 
You yeah. know what I mean? And same thing when sometimes I'll send a mix to someone and they'll just be like, this is too loud. And it's like so, so simple, but you know, they yeah. notice if they notice it, then it's something to, to change, you know, something to notice. Totally. So before we kind of dive into production, I just want to like wrap up if there's anything else that we can kind of talk about on the songwriting front. Obviously, you do have a classical piano background. So for you composing the songs, I'm sure you're pretty comfortable at this point. But any advice for a newer producer that just really struggles to get down solid instrumental ideas for their productions? I think, you know, having the classical background in some ways hurt me, you know, because you want to keep it simple. Um, And I think the more you overthink it, the more you'll like drive yourself crazy. A lot of I, I find if you don't know like, oh, I have to do this or I should do that, or you think like there's got to be some sort of formula, the best way is just to like, listen, you know, if it sounds right, uh, that's, that's kind of stupid, but like, you know, let's yeah. say you have a chord progression and you want to just get a good melody. A lot of people will go in uh, the vocal booth and just sing over it and then listen back, you know, later. And then they can kind of piece together what sounds cool. You know, I don't think yeah. there's any, any way, one way that works you know, everyone has their own ways of, of writing. Uh, I've seen people write the melodies in the room without going to the vocal booth. Some people just singing random melodies into the, the microphone, yeah. and, you know, everything in between. So, yeah, I think the more you do it and the more you just try and see what people respond to, the the easier it gets. Um, but it's never really that easy. It's just yeah. you know, what you like. Cool. So kind of flipping things over into production. First thing I want to ask is, let's just say you're in the studio writing a track uh, instrumental that eventually vocals vocals are going to come on. What are your kind of first steps to get down an idea in the DAW? If this is what, if I don't have an instrument, I mean a vocal. Yeah. You don't have a vocal. So just build not an instrumental. Um, I've done a lot of instrumentals and I've never like successfully made an instrumental, sent it to someone and got a top line that I really, really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I do get a top line that I really like, I usually change the instrumental because I'm sick of it by then. <laughs> yeah. um, but I guess if I'm doing an instrumental, uh, I like to just start with like atmospheric sounds, like um, like FX, you know? Um, yeah. I'll find something that will just have some sort of quality to it that could start the record, you know, and just put me into mm-hmm. like a, a space, you know, something really atmospheric and almost like a mystical sound or something and then put chords around it. Yeah. Uh, so I'll usually start there just getting, you know, a simple chord progression and, and some like a vibe to it, you know, and then build off of that. Um, I think obviously, you know, you want to go from there, you want to add drums and and build some momentum towards what would be for me a lot of the times a drop, you know? Yeah. Uh, but for me, I really need the vocals to produce a drop. So even a lot of my instrumentals will just be leading up to that moment. And then I'll wait for the vocalist to send me something because I do base off a lot of my drops with vocal chops or, or just things that I'm, I'm like, depends what the message is and what they're saying, how intense I need to be or, or what it's going to be about. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, I don't like doing instrumentals though. I like, I almost always want to start with the vocal and I'd rather even the person just have piano vocal before we even get going, because I'm probably not going to keep that instrumental no matter what. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes a ton of sense, even just listening to your music. Like we talked about earlier, even though it's very 
it's got a very gritty production. It has this pop sensibility to the vocals and to the arrangement. So it makes mm-hmm. sense that you're just building out this structure around those. And again, yeah. that's like what works for you in your workflow. Some people can build instrumentals knowing that there's a vocal going over the top of it. Doesn't sound like you're one of those people. I'm definitely not one of those people. Yeah. So like finding a workflow that works for you is crucial with that. Right. And a lot of the things I do send out, if they are instrumentals, it's usually songs that I've produced around a vocal and then they've never been released or, you know, we've decided not to release it and then I'll strip the vocal and then I'll, then I'll send that, that out. But it, I usually produce around a vocal almost no matter what, even if I have to get something in, in splice, you know what I mean? Just to use to it's like an acapella. Right. Yeah. Yes. Anything. Yeah. So cool. Kind of continuing on with production, would you say there's any tools or plugins that are pretty important to your workflow at this point? Um, I'd use a lot of uh, Camel Crusher for my bass sounds. Yeah. It's like a distorter. So that has that that's a lot of my bass, especially in, in the drops, will that will come on, you know, just to give it a little bit more oomph. Um, I use a lot of the sound toys, you know, little Ultra Boy, uh, the effect rack, and just take something that I already like and see how I can make it even better. Um, i trying to think I, for my, for my synths, I use obviously serum, but a lot of my bass sounds are in massive. And then for more organic sounds, I'll use, uh, Omnisphere or Nexus. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much, I, I don't stray too far from that right now. Um, yeah. So I kind of want to talk about the production behind your latest release, Your Perfect I Hate It. just kind of talk about how that track initially came to be. I'm guessing there was a vocal first and then just your production underneath it. This one is actually funny, but, um, I was doing, my friend does, um, he, he writes for, um, like a a song catalog. So he'll, he'll produce a song, you know, or an instrumental and he'll sell the song basically and get like a flat fee and then they get to own it. And then it's a catalog that people can go through and, you know, pay a certain amount of money to, you know, upload or whatever. So I was actually doing something for him and I found a loop, a guitar loop, which you hear in like the drop on, on splice. And I basically just put a baseline around it and a beat. And it came up with that, you know, that drop, it's just honestly a four bar loop. So it's, very um it's kind of embarrassing because i didn't really do much to make it you know everyone's yeah. like oh this drop is sick but it's you know i'm like all right whatever um yeah but you know i the when the loop works like it just works so the there's a lot of effects on the, the actual guitar you know it was completely different sounding but that's basically how i came up with the drop and this was one of those songs where i liked the drop so much that i didn't end up giving it to my friend and and i just said you know i'm going to use this for my own project and it was one of those songs where I did need to find a top line or, you know, work with a vocal after the fact that I had an instrumental. Cause I, I'm not kind of saying exactly what I just didn't, 
Yeah. I, 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 you know, this was, gotcha. this is like the, the, exactly. This is the one, <laughs> the one, the one case. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, then I did send it out to a couple of people, but it wasn't working. So uh, I randomly had a session with Amelia and I had uh, my friend, Joey, uh, who actually did the song chills. This, he's the singer on chills. He was in the session with us to help. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, at that point I, I did have some idea of what I, how I wanted, like, you know, the verses to sound and we wanted it to be very mysterious so that when this drop did come, it felt like a big uplift, you know? So she yeah. had the perfect, perfect voice for it because she's super chill. And, um, we just, you know, wrote a couple of different ideas and then actually we finished the writing and the, you know, the chord structure over iMessage. Uh, she would just, she would send me like voice notes and, you know, I would give her feedback and say, you know, change this melody or I like it there, you know, and we just kind of built from there and that she recorded it in Boston. Um, once we finally came up with, you know, the final, okay, we, you know, this is what, this is the melodies we actually like. Let's, let's, you know, get it down. And then I finished up the production from there. So it was kind of, it's like, that's like one of the messier ways I've put together a song where, you know, I had a drop, I didn't have the verses, you know, then we wrote verses, then we changed them, then we changed the chords. And then, you know, then I finished the productions was, you know, but it it was, it's interesting. It was, it was a, a fun process. Totally. Yeah. So one thing that I really liked about that track, um, aside from like the main elements, like the vocals and guitars are just all these little accent and background textures that you have any advice or insight on the way that you kind of built those out. Yeah. Like obviously everyone, I'm pretty sure everyone uses splice at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. and before that it was the same concept, you know, downloading a bunch of, uh, sound packs and just putting it into your library and then going through that stuff. So, a lot of times I'll, I'll just keep like a loop running and I'll go through, I'll, I'll select the key on splice, you know, and I'll just go through hundreds or thousands, even if I need until I hear just things that fit and, you know, draw your, like draw you in, um, just weird sounds. And I, that's like one of my favorite things to do. So I'll just literally loop it and, and sit there for an hour or two and just go through thousands of sounds and, if something sounds cool, I'll just throw it in there and I just keep going, going, going. And then yeah. I, and then I just place them around the track, you know, at different spots. Um, and in that one, I, I was playing around with a lot of muting and finding a vocal that where she's like, breathe, you know, all yeah. these just, I want when people are listening to the first time things happen that they're not expecting, you know, I think that was one way I could keep the listener, uh, interested, even though the song was kind of slow paced in the beginning. <laughs> Uh, so that you're like, oh shit, something's about to happen, you know? So yeah, I was just playing around with that a lot. Muting and throwing in different sounds is like a thing I love to do. You know, anything that catches someone off guard, but doesn't throw them away from the song too much. I think that's such a invaluable idea. Like it's like the way that I think about it, I call it the wave racer rule. Cause I feel like in wave racers music, he's just has so many different things going on at once, but it's <laughs> yeah. almost like every three to five seconds, you need a little bit of something to come in. Now, if you're doing like a vocal driven Rihanna track, maybe you don't need that. But in the majority of electronic productions, especially ones that have more of a pop sensibility, it's exactly that. You've got things that are changing or new additions every few seconds, but they're not right there loud and in your face. I think Drew is probably one of the best in the EDM scene for that, where there's so many different 
accents and counter melodies and effects that kind of come in, but they're not distracting from whatever the focus of that section is. Right. No, it's super important. Um, and it, it's fun. It's one of those things that will keep a listener coming back because they'll always hear something a little bit different. If they're in their headphones, yeah. they're going to they're gonna have a different experience than if they're listening on speakers. And at least in my experience, it's not necessarily the most difficult thing to find those. Like you kind of talked about, you just go on Splice, download a bunch of samples, see what fits, and then yeah. like mute stuff on or off. But it just takes an intention to do that, which I see a lot of intermediate producers neglecting because yeah. they have their drop down and then they're just happy with how it is. And they don't think about, okay, I need to add more to give this a bit more character and spice. Like yeah. you were talking about, hey, I found this guitar on Splice. Let's give it some more uh, just more texture and contrast yeah. so that it's more uniquely mine. I think that's a crucial approach with really any aspect of production. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it takes a while to either develop a love for it or or just just naturally love it. Like I, I remember never really liking drums uh, yeah. and I, ha I hated going through samples and finding loops and stuff. Um, but when I realized how much better my tracks were if I just put that extra you know, two or three hours into the detail or finding the right samples, yeah. then you start to like appreciate doing that. And then you maybe develop a love for it, you know, cause it's a lot of things are more work, you know, and you just, I know if I go through and I found, find, you know, six things that really surprise you, but have a really unique sounds, that's the kind of shit that I love to hear in a, per like a track. So I'm guessing other people might like that, you know? Yeah. And I think yeah. that idea of developing a love for it is really important too, because at the start, it's not fun to find <laughs> the right drums for your track, yeah. but if you can really contextualize that to that finished product and, yeah. you know, fans messaging you on SoundCloud and on Instagram, it's easier and easier to enjoy that process. Yeah. It's no different than going to the gym or going on a run. Like I don't look forward to the running. I look forward to me being done and being feeling accomplished. No yeah. different than going through all the nitty gritty to get your track from 80% to a hundred. Right. No, it's like getting that, that message. Like, how did you make that sound here? You know? And then you're like, yes, exactly. you know, <laughs> that's the gratification. Yeah. So you talked about the fact that, um, the vocalist for that track that you just released was in Los Angeles for a session, um, when you initially met with her, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's came from Boston. So how important for you, we were talking before this, I know that you moved to LA a few years ago. How important for you, especially given the vocal driven aesthetic to your brand, is it for you to be able to just be around that LA songwriter community? It's, it's like both, uh, really helpful. And also I don't want to, for anyone that's not in LA, I don't want to, um, say like you, you have to be here because I did a lot of my tracks you know, remote and just sending emails to people. So, uh, but at the same time, at some point, almost every singer will come into LA, you know, and you have that opportunity to reach out to them or jump in a session and be, you know, face to face with them. And that's a completely different relationship than just being online. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, and then same thing when you're making music, if you have a, an idea, it's way easier to get it across and get something done and follow through with it. If you meet the mm -hmm. person and you work with them in, in, you know, in person. Yeah. Um, so, and I've met just so many talented people and, you know, it's, it's just a different energy when you're around other people doing the same thing as you, you feel like, I remember when I first got here, I felt like I had to work 10 times as much as I did because everyone yeah. was always everyone's always in the studio and everyone's always working and 
that energy just makes you want to work more. Um, whereas if I was, you know, in the, I was on the East coast and I was just chilling and it, it's, if you're not around that, you don't feel like you have to do anything to get ahead, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's like a, a nice competitive aspect to it, you know, not you like crazy competitive, but at least you feel like you're in it and, you know, other people have the same issues as you, or, you know, you see other people working and it just inspires you to do what they're doing and stuff like that. So yeah. it's important. It's important for me to be around it. Um, I do get put in sessions that with people that I would never have been put in sessions with before if I weren't yeah. out here. And, you know, I, I wouldn't, you just never know who you're going to connect with and who you're not uh, in a session. You know, a lot of times you're just a manager will say, Hey, you know, show up here, try to make a song with, xyz and you don't know that person but yeah it can go really well and you know you can get a crazy song out of that mm -hmm. uh and you just never know. I, I mean that's the thing is you just never know um but you can't do it if you're not there do you know what i mean yeah totally. just like being there and being present right. and getting those opportunities yeah exactly um yeah i have another i have a future song coming out um it's called my mind uh the singer's emily vaughn and that one was a really random session where, you know, last minute, my manager was, was just looking to put me in a session with someone. And, you know, within three hours, we had this incredible song. Uh, it just came together so easily. It was all done in person. You know, I walked in and played three or four chords on the piano and the writers just ran with it. And it, it was one of those things that just everything aligned. Um, and that just, you know, you can't do that remote. So at this point in time, what does your daily schedule or routine look like? Because I came from being like in the nine to five world, you know, I'm super, I'm like a morning person. I'm up before seven. Um, sometimes I'll do a hike or whatever, uh, drink my coffee and then, you know, start working on music by, I would say 10 AM or 11, you know? Um, and each day could be, I could be working on something completely different because, and we could talk about this later, but you know, it's not all just doing my own, my own stuff, uh, like the Mickey Valen project. Um, but you know, then I'll, I'll probably just work till almost like 6 PM. I'd say, you know, okay. I, I, I don't overdo it. Um, one of the things I learned like earlier was I would just sit at a computer and be like, Oh, I'm in the studio all, all day and night, you know, but I wasn't really doing anything. It yeah. was always like three or four hours of work that really contributed to the day. And then everything else is just me bullshitting or listening to music or doing whatever. So I try to just, when I'm there at the studio or if I'm working, that's when I'm, that's when I'm working. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. uh, I don't like mess around too much. I try to get something done and then I I'm done by six, you know? Um, yeah. And for the most part, that works for me. You know, I think other people like to work whenever they feel like it, you know, that works for mm -hmm. them. Uh, for me, it's, I just kind of treat it as a, as a job. Yeah. There's Not sounds, just the yeah. quantity of hours, but the quality too. Right. Right. So you mentioned, uh, whilst responding to that, you mentioned that you do some work outside of the Mickey Valen project. Talk about some of those other things that you do outside of what people see as your brand. Yeah, I think f for a lot of producers too, or just artists, or there's always, you know, you got to have more than one way to make money. Um, mm -hmm. Whether, so for, you know, you have, for producers, it's a little easier than, than, uh, than like 
singers you know um yeah. producers can produce other artists so that's one thing i do you know i might have uh, other projects where other people i'm producing or people that come up and you know they want to do a single uh i work with them and it's not you know around the mickey Vallon project but it's something that i can get a percentage on and, and you know charge a fee and make yeah. some make some extra money and also develop my craft and get better at that. You know, I think some people, that's all they do. You know, most producers don't have a, like a DJ name or a producer name like I do. You know, that's all they do. They just sit behind the desk and work with other people. Uh, and at one point I really wanted to do that, but the, the Mickey Vallon project kind of landed on my lap and it kind of took off more than I was expecting. Um, yeah. And I kind of just ran with it. And I think, um, that does bring me, you know, most of my money. And so the focus is mostly there, but other things could be like right now, um, you could create instrumentals and, and songs that could work for commercial musics, like, uh, commercials, movies, mm-hmm. uh, shows, stuff like that. And, you know, my manager works, you know, we have like a licensing team. So there's that, like, I could be putting together a catalog that can be pitched out for that. You know, a lot of producers like me will write songs that maybe don't fit their own brand, but will fit another producer's brand or, you know, a, a bigger pop artist and will send yeah. out, you know, pitch music. Um, so we'll develop songs and it could be hip hop or things that are completely out of my genre. And again, build a catalog that my manager can then pitch to other artists and say, hey, you know, marshmallow this sounds good for you do you like this song and you know if you're one of the lucky people uh they'll they'll take pick it up for a fee and give you a small percentage on the back end and so there's a lot of different things you can do to um further you know your career and each day it depends like on what i'm really feeling but i'll be working on one of those things for the majority of right now like i i have four singles done for mickey valen that are will be coming out in the next six months. So it's interesting. It's weird because like, if I produce something right now, it doesn't necessarily mean it will come out till, you know, maybe even October, um, which makes it hard for me to feel like I have to do Mickey Valen. So I'll Mm -hmm. work on a different project or I'll, I'll make instrumentals for commercial, which is completely different than having, you know, looking for instrumentals for vocalist. Um, cause it's just all percussion and, you know, instrumentals. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, no, it makes a lot of sense. It's always cool to hear all the different things that you do. Um, just like one thing to add on, the idea of like pitching instrumentals and obviously vocals to people is such a huge industry, especially in Los Angeles. Yeah. And like, you know, some artists will write 90% of their stuff and like take 10% from other people in terms of like uh, whatever it's instrumentals or vocalists. So definitely something to think about, especially sounds like for you too, like that's just a fun thing to experiment with different styles as well. And just, you know, you never really know, like if you want to chase a hip hop vibe for a day, you can run with it, but you still know you've got your rock in the Mickey Valen project. Exactly. Yeah. That that's, I mean, you nailed it. It's, it's like, I'll give it a shot. And if I'm feeling it, you know, like, Oh, let's do this for a day. And it's a pop track. It's fun to do that. But at the end of the day, I still have my, my own project to actually release stuff and, and have control over because you have no control over yeah. those things actually landing. Like with that, it's like being, you know, the idea of multiple streams of revenue, I think is getting more and more popular, but being smart within that, 
like mm-hmm. not just spending all of your try all of your time trying to pitch for major motion picture trailers because yes there's a lot of good money in there but <laughs> yeah. the odds are just so low but if you put 10 percent of your time into that and the rest into chances that are a little bit higher that's a much more smart way to approach it for sure and like for example um for those big like commercial syncs a lot of those brands will look for songs that are already out and already have some sort of buzz and it has like a brand behind it in itself. So, you know, let's say the brand's looking for an artist that has a song that has this certain vocal. And then also she stands for being health, health conscious or whatever. Yeah. So a lot of times you can't like force those big syncs like, Oh, I'm going to make this song exactly for that commercial. You know, a lot of times that just goes nowhere. So yeah, my manager even says, you know, they're casting a wide net to those people that might send like hundreds of emails out to all these different producers and writers and go through a thousand plus songs or even more just to find the right song for that commercial. So it's best to just focus on what you like doing. So you don't burn, burn yourself out, put out your own music, do something you can control and, and feel good about. And then, you know, uh, everything else will follow. You know what I mean? Totally. Cool. So to kind of wrap things up, I know that you said um, you've got five releases lined up. What's going to be your next release at this point? Um, the next release is going to be a remix of Your Perfect I Hate It. And it's going to be Leno. Oh, cool. And that one's super sick. That one comes out first before we drop the full pack, which will have uh, IC Colors, Air Mao, and Jupe as well. Uh, yeah. in, in mid mid to late April. So I think it's the 18th. And then after that, um, I have four singles that are ready to go. We're just looking at release dates and we'll be dropping them hopefully every six to eight weeks um, starting in May. So a lot of new music coming out soon. Awesome. So one last question and then we'll close things up. We've got a lot of newer producers listening to this podcast. I know we've kind of talked about this before, but what advice would you give to a producer that is just starting out with production to give them the best chance of success moving forward? Um, damn, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a, I think for me getting into, to actually, you know, make some progress, I really had to pay attention to what was happening in music. I know that sounds like, oh, just do what you, you know, just do what you want, but I think it's important because so many people are are out there able to make music that to cut through the noise you have to stay with what's current and also yeah. put you know put a new spin on it so that it's super fresh um if you're just doing something that already has happened and you're trying to cut through the noise it most likely won't happen yeah. um, but for like super new beginners it's really just about releasing as much music as possible you know whether it's remixes uh, or originals, just anything to to get into the process of not holding on to things and mm. you know moving on, learning something, putting it out, saying okay I did that, but I can do better, and just pushing yourself to do something better and just keep pushing and keep releasing, um, and then you can start to get to the nitty gritty. Yeah. Uh, but you know it's just pushing. I mean I would just keep on keep on producing. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, with that, we will wrap things up for this podcast. You can all find Mickey Valen's music in the description of this episode. So go give it a listen as this podcast is just about over. Mickey, it's been great chatting with you and I appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much.